Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Power Your Life. And wherever you are, we send greetings and support for for many people who are going through challenges. And oftentimes, the challenges aren't just personal or have to do with weather or something like that, but they can also affect our careers and our business and how we do with moving forward and with being more successful in our lives and in everything that we do. So I have someone today who really knows how to share and how to show you how to really transform your business and your career from the inside out. I'm talking about Elizabeth Diaz, who's a mindset and a business coach, and she assists people to accelerate both their personal and their business results. For over 15 years, Elizabeth has worked with 1,000-plus entrepreneurs, companies, and individuals all across the globe for both transformation and, most importantly, lasting change. She's also a certified consultant for the Proctor Gallagher Institute, led by Bob Proctor, Proctor, excuse me, she's an influent, who's an influential teacher on human potential as well as success, and she is featured in the book and the movie The Secret. Elizabeth's background is predominantly in international development, management, training, and coaching, and she's so passionate about women's empowerment and entrepreneurship. And Elizabeth has been instrumental in international pioneer organizations from Women's Net to Femme International and Ashoka, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, the leading organization in social entrepreneurship. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you? Hello, Joanne. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. I'm doing great. How are you? Lovely to be chatting with you again. (laughs) Yes, I love it. And, you know, what you do is I love the idea from the inside out because oftentimes people go through changes and and they make certain changes in their lives and their and in their businesses but then they have to go back and and start over again so the the changes aren't necessarily internalized ones or ones that are long standing and far reaching so how do you do that what what does that mean to to be able to do that from the inside out Sure. Um, I just also, before uh, getting into that, I just wanted to just make a slight correction because you'd mentioned in the intro that I was featured in uh, the book and the movie The Secret, but that's actually my my uh, mentor, Bob Proctor. So I think there was just a little sort of, you know, um, 
instead of saying he who was featured in the book and movie, uh, you had said that I was. I, well, I would love to have been featured in that, <laughs> but however, my uh, my fabulous uh, mentor uh, and teacher, Bob Proctor, was. So that being said, yes, working from the inside out, it's just one of those things that I find is so critical. And over the years, having worked with so many different types of entrepreneurs and individuals, people are really passionate about making change and making a difference uh, in the lives of others, their communities, the globe, etc., as well as their own lives. One of the things that I noticed, Joanne, was that oftentimes, and it's that sort of saying, uh, everywhere you go, there you are. So they were always showing up in these places, these situations, and these businesses still as themselves. So while that's fantastic in so far that they had the right uh, intention to do good, oftentimes we're carrying around a lot of stuff that does not serve us. So we might be harboring a lot of fears, a lot of limiting beliefs, insecurities, uh, just false stories that we've told ourselves or that others have told us. And these basically formalize in the in sort of, you know, um, kind of like a mental programming, if you, uh, if you will. So they kind of concretize themselves in a way that they actually start sort of dictating how you're going to act, how you're going to show up. And that really uh, impacts the results that you're getting. So this is one of the reasons for me starting to work some years back from the inside out was just so critical. So as mentioned, I've been working with a lot of different entrepreneurs, and on paper what I was seeing is, oh, they look great. They have a great plan. We've discussed in terms of, you know, way forward, how they're going to move forward, you know, launch their business, market their business, et cetera, analyze their business. So everything was reading really, really well. But then when I would meet with them, sometimes they wouldn't understand why it was that they weren't getting the results that we were expecting. And what I found was that it's basically they were stopping themselves in many, many different ways, and they were holding themselves back. So Sometimes it's consciously, many times it's unconsciously. So once I discovered that, and I mostly uh, started really sort of learning about that some years back, about maybe five years back, and then really took it to the next level when I was starting to be mentored and uh, working, you know, with the Proctor Gallagher Institute led by Bob Proctor, um, who's a leader in, you know, uh, personal growth and uh, development success, I started understanding it. So once I realized, oh, wait a minute, we're stopping ourselves from making much more progress. We're stopping ourselves from having so much more impact in our own lives, the lives of our communities, uh, through our businesses, et cetera. So that got me really excited. <laughs> you know, I think it's so important, Elizabeth, what you said, because oftentimes, like you said, we look so good on paper and we're working towards many mm-hmm. things in our businesses and our careers, but we're not growing ourselves or, or fixing ourselves. And like you say, so much may not be conscious, that level of awareness may not take place until we kind of look deeper and see what, like you said, what's holding us back and what's really interfering for us, with us for moving ahead and being all that we can be. So I think that's so important to be able to be aware of what we're doing, even if it's not conscious. And there are ways, as you and I both know, to be able to access what's going on in the subconscious and unconsciously so that we can fix it and be able to move forward. You do a lot with social entrepreneurship. Can you explain to our listeners what that means and what that's about? Yes, absolutely. So I really feel very, very blessed to have been involved with a lot of uh, different uh, social um 
entrepreneurship-related organizations, social entrepreneurs themselves, and uh, I really kind of got um, started much more actively working with social entrepreneurs in 2007 uh, when I went to work for uh, the leading pioneer organization, Ashoka, that you had mentioned. They're leaders in that field and have been doing it for about 35 years. So what social entrepreneurship is, I mean, there's some confusion uh, out there. Sometimes people nowadays think it's related to marketing on uh, social platforms and networks like Instagram. So every now and again I get those type of questions. So it's not that type of social. So what we're talking about with social entrepreneurship is uh, basically it's the process of applying business-like approaches and solutions, but in an innovative manner. Uh, but what it seeks to do is really to solve longstanding social and environmental problems. So all that um, to say that essentially it's being an, an entrepreneur, so basically running your enterprise like an entrepreneur, but your focus is really on addressing longstanding social and or environmental issues. So, um, you know, as a species, we've been plagued with so many over the course of our lifetime here and our time on this planet. So we've got social uh, issues, for example, related to education, related to poverty, inequality, uh, health, you name it, and then a lot of environmental ones as well. So oftentimes when they say social entrepreneurship, they're reflecting both sort of the issues uh, that are being tackled by entrepreneurs uh, in society and that also could in in include the environment as well. So it's social and or environmental. So what makes it really interesting is for me, it's really thinking about how sort of as an enterprise, whether you're a for-profit or whether you're a non-profit, you're kind of trying to mimic one another a little bit closer. So for example, if you're a for-profit uh, company, uh, Classically speaking, for-profit uh, companies, they're basically in the business of making profit, as much profit as possible uh, for their um, shareholders. And essentially, they do it at whatever cost. Um, so they're really looking at the bottom line just being you know, the money that they're making the profit. But if you are a social enterprise and you have a for-profit company, you're basically in the business of doing good. So what that means is you're actually it's part doing good is baked into your business DNA. It's part of what you do. It's not a subset. It's not sort of giving back to the community at a later stage through, for example, corporate social responsibility. It's not, you know, sort of like uh, – maybe, you know, um, sponsoring, you know, some events and, you know, some sort of education or sort of, you know, camps, et cetera, for kids. It really is, as part of your core business, you do good. So that's really exciting that actually businesses can take that approach of still being a for-profit business where they're still seeking to make profit, but they're doing much more good in the world uh, with the profit that they're generating. And on the other side where nonprofits, for example, are concerned, nonprofits have classically always been in the business of doing good. That's pretty much their mandate. So they've been addressing a lot of these longstanding social and environmental issues for an eternity as well. However, how they do it is quite different. So conventionally, nonprofits, for example, uh, the way that they generate their, um, their revenue, their income, the monies that they acquire are through conventional means like uh, fundraising or applying for grants or getting, you know, sort of like monies from foundations and governments, et cetera. So the exciting thing about social uh, enterprises on the uh, nonprofit side is you're still in the business of doing good, but you run your nonprofit much more like a business. So this is what I find fantastic because as a nonprofit, it's not very conventional to think, yes, I'm going to try and make as much money as possible because you're thinking, oh, no, we're leading with our hearts. We're in the business of doing good, and you're basically taking monies from conventional sources, but you're not seeking to run your operation like a business. 
So for social enterprises on the nonprofit side, which I've also been involved with uh, in various capacities, including working for them as well as being on their board of directors, et cetera, we basically really put the focus on running it like a business, so from the operations and also from the profit-seeking um, point of view as well. So that's sort of like one general way of uh, describing them. They're very much more similar to one another in terms of mimicking one another businesses, uh, for-profits and non-profits, and they're in the business of doing good. And, of course, tackling you know, long-standing social and environmental issues. Right, and I think that's so mm-hmm. very important. Like you said, today especially, there is so much that really on a social, environmental, and global scale really needs our attention and for companies, whether they're profit or nonprofit, to really hone in on issues that affect all of us is to me is is wonderful. Now in particular are there specific social issues that you your that you focus on by yourself? Um, well, I think in terms of a lot of the work that I've done have uh, involved women as well, so uh, w- through women's empowerment, and that could be in the form of sort of, you know, a lot of um, capacity development training, advocacy, uh, you know, sort of like uh, income generating uh, projects and community empowerment through economic development, et cetera. Uh, so there's been a lot of work in that regard. It could also be working through women entrepreneurs as well, social entrepreneurs. So we see oftentimes, you know, where women entrepreneurs are concerned, they have different set of challenges, if you will, from access to finances to also in terms of, you know, um, a lot of the mindset-related stuff that I kind of referenced a little bit earlier on because we, you know, have been socialized a certain way. We have our own sort of internal programming, whether it's personal, cultural, et cetera, that also kind of, you know, uh, limits us to some extent. So we really do need to revamp that. We really need to go inwards to identify what it is that's kind of stopping us. So a lot of the things that I've seen also working with women and women entrepreneurs, including lots of social entrepreneurs, is, for example, you know, on paper, again, they can read really well, have a solid plan, and have a really great work ethic, and be out there ready to sort of, you know, start offering their service or getting their product out into the marketplace. But essentially, they have all of these sort of like internal blocks related to money and finances and success, <laughs> because maybe conventionally they've been told sort of, you know, a woman's place isn't in sort of the marketplace, isn't in commerce, isn't in sort of like finance, or isn't in big leadership or you know power positions, etc. But that's at a higher level. But even at a smaller, lower level, if you will, that's really significant is oftentimes the sense uh, where women are concerned is when you really drill down and get into sort of like some of that unconscious stuff as well and to some extent conscious too but oftentimes it's unconscious is that sense that they are not enough that they're not worthy that what they have to share sort of isn't uh, good enough so they hold themselves back a lot and they also have this sort of relationship with sort of money and receiving money as well and being comfortable with being paid uh, for their services and products including sort of also um, things like for example you know um, charging what their real value is so undervaluing undercharging themselves, taking on clients that really end up taxing them, uh, you know, sort of like really sort of um, 
taxing them insofar that, you know, they're just really draining clients and they're not paying and they're having to be chased. So there's so much that goes into that in terms of trying to address it and sort of like reverse that. Um, so a lot of that is, again, related to mindset. It's related to empowerment. It's related to people understanding what's going on on the inside so that we can kind of course correct it, put in place the type of program that we want. So the type of programming that fortifies entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, to let them know that, A, you know, if they have a business idea or they have sort of, you know, an idea for a nonprofit that's a social enterprise, there's a reason that these things are within them. So it's not a coincidence that, for example, there's certain dreams and visions and sort of, you know, uh, wishes that resonate with me within me really, really strongly. And same thing for everybody else. So we're all we have these unique desires and sort of uh, visions and dreams and these goals that we really should kind of manifest and work towards bringing out from ourselves into the world. Um, so there's a lot of work that I do related to that. And also, you know, social entrepreneurship is amazing because it's sort of like the twofold situation where you're not just realizing maybe a vision or, you know, a dream of uh, launching a, an enterprise, for example, but now you're also sort of, it's that twofold uh, beneficial scenario where you're really impacting, you know, society and the environment on a much deeper level. And in this day and age, we have so many amazing tools like the internet, like social media, et cetera, like the capacity for networking and mentorship to be able to really take that to the next level. So those are some of the things that I get pretty excited about in terms of helping people with and really bringing those visions um, to fruition. And there have been so many examples, amazing examples of social entrepreneurs around the globe, including, of course, the founder uh, of uh, Ashoka, uh, Bill Drayton, who's also very widely recognized you know, as one of the leaders in social entrepreneurship and being a social entrepreneur himself. But you have to have that vision. You have to have allow. You have to allow the room for that vision to actually come forth and basically nurture it and protect it and grow it until it becomes really strong, and ideally a model that you can actually replicate so that you can have impact on a much larger scale, if you will, and that other people can also, you know, to take the lead with as well. You know, I think it's important for people to recognize that they do have to grow that vision, that that vision really, yes, having that vision is is essential, but also to be able to nurture it, like you said, and really grow it and focus it and, and make it happen in in reality and not just as a you know as, mm-hmm. as a dream or in our in our minds now talking about mindset many people don't realize or may not even be aware of what they're thinking of how they view certain things some mm-hmm. of it may be entrenched for so many years and some of it also can come from programming from families, from other value systems that they have. Mm-hmm. How does somebody know what their mindsets are about certain kinds of issues so that they can tackle it and so that they can move forward and shift it because it's not working, it's not helping them do or achieve what they need to do? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Well, I think like with anything really where it starts is awareness. Like if you don't realize that there's a problem or there's a way of doing something differently or if there's, you know, you have the capacity to change and to become somebody different, um, if you don't have that level of awareness, then it's really, really tricky, I find. So it all starts with awareness, and that could just be sort of like people men- mentioning it. You know, it starts coming on your radar. You're hearing this term mindset a lot more. You know, you're sort of like reading about it, um, et cetera. So being open to sort of, you know, understanding what it is, uh, because we can't really make those changes unless we understand sort of what it entails and then how to actually go about implementing it. So just to kind of backtrack, because I don't think we really got into even sort of defining a mindset. There's a lot of definitions and whatnot. But just in summary for your listeners, Joanne, it's pretty much a way of thinking, a way of thinking and believing. So it's a set of like um, attitudes and beliefs and inclinations that you have. And as I referenced, the mental programming. So just so people realize when we're talking about mindset, it's it's that in terms of the way that you're thinking, you're feeling. But what happens is your mindset is pretty much responsible for then your actions, for your behaviors, and you know, on a much broader, more significant level, your results. So again, it's the mindset that's responsible for the actions, behaviors, and the results. And what you were mentioning um, just a little earlier, one of the things that uh, came out of a neuroscience uh, conference and and stats that I've been seeing around quite often, you know, they say that up to 96 to 98% of what we do is pretty much on automatic. That's almost 100%. So 96 to 98% of what we do is pretty much, you know, unfolding on automatic. And sometimes people hear that and they're like, oh, come on, not really. But if you stop and look at your day, just think about, you know, everything that you engage in mentally and physically uh, throughout the day. So you get up and you're already sort of like programmed. So you probably already slept on a certain side of the bed. You roll over. You have, you know, everything, your accoutrements next to you, your cell phone, et cetera, somewhere. You turn it off and you, the first thing you go do is whatever it is. Maybe go brush your teeth. I personally like to start my day off with dancing for five minutes to sort of really set a happy tone and, you know, shake out all of sort of, uh, you know, the kinks in my body and whatever else. But, you know, you move through your day, you do very specific things in a very specific order. You have your coffee a certain way. You probably drive or take the same sort of route to work. If you go to work, if you work from home, you have your routine type of thing. And that's what you're doing in terms of the actions that your body is now kind of engaged in. But there's also sort of how we're programmed in terms of how we respond to situations. And oftentimes we don't even really respond, we react. So, for example, if somebody says something, we react in a certain way. We're already programmed to do it that way historically, and that's sort of, you know, we've just reinforced kind of those attitudes, if you will, et cetera, uh, and those kind of behaviors through sort of, you know, experience. So the more we do something, the more we think something, it becomes hardwired into us. So we just default to it to it a lot quicker, if you will. So the way you engage with people, the way you engage with yourself. You know, so some people, for example, might be in the habit of beating themselves up or always, you know, talking themselves out of doing something good, like they get excited about maybe starting a business or, you know, moving to another country or whatever else, and then they start talking themselves out of it. So all of that's already kind of programmed, if you will. So where that's concerned, it's really important, A, to raise awareness of what's going on that we're pretty much programmed to think and to feel and to act and get certain results, and then basically to really learn how to undo that, if you will. So one of the things that I'm busy with, obviously, as a mindset coach, is helping people to identify what it is that they're doing that doesn't work for them. Let's get that rid of that. So that includes habits and beliefs and actions, et cetera. 
and routines that do not serve you and actually identify what does serve you and also the mindset that's actually going to support that. And there's this one quote that I love. Uh, It's just so sort of to the point. It's by Henry Ford. And basically it reads that whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So I love it because it's so concise because basically that's mindset in a nutshell. You can either believe you can and actually, you know, be right and prove yourself right and move forward and making things happen like so many successful social entrepreneurs have. Despite the odds, they've, you know, persevered. They've decided to go for the innovation. They've decided to go for wide-scale uh, impact across the globe, being game changers, et cetera. They've decided that even though it didn't look like they had the resources that they needed from the money to the people to the know-how, even though it looked like they didn't have it, they still made it happen. Whereas somebody equally could convince themselves that they don't have what it takes, that it's going to be too huge a task to surmount. It's going to be, you know, they don't have the money, they don't have the chief technical officers, they don't have the know-how, they don't have the connections, all of those things. So I've heard people argue, uh, you know, for their limitations over and over again. So mindset is recognizing what's going on, yes, knowing you can change it and getting busy with changing it through a whole series of different things that we do to, you know, kind of correct your mindset. And then in um, relation to that, the actions that you're involved with, because that's really important, not just what you're thinking, but it's got to, you know, be present in what you're doing so that you can get the results you want. You know, I think it's so important. Mindset influences, like you said, how we act. It also influences how we feel, how we relate with other people. And that that Mm -hmm. quote by Henry Ford is, like you said, it's very concise, and yet it really means a lot. Many people aren't even aware that their mindset, what they're thinking, their their programming is impacting everything that they're doing on a daily basis. And what you're doing Mm -hmm. and what I'm doing, what many people are doing, is really getting to that level of awareness so that we are acting, behaving, doing whatever we're doing in our work, in our lives, in our relationships with more of a conscious approach, and not just a conscious approach, but the level of awareness that you're talking about so that we see what we've been doing in the past and we have the capacity and the knowledge, the know-how, as well as the belief, and that's key, that we can change it. So I think that's that's so very, very important. Yes. Yeah. When absolutely. you work and I think with that's one of the things that people Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's just one of those things that I really like to drive home because a lot of people think that they're not capable of change and they have sort of like what they refer to also as a fixed mindset. We're all capable of change, and, and change is occurring all the time. So one of the things they don't realize is many times they are in the process of changing, but just for the negative or less desirable. So they're actually becoming more stressed. They're becoming sort of, you know, uh, less sort of uh, empowered, so they're feeling more disempowered. They're actually losing sight of what used to light them up or some of their dreams, so they're actually becoming more kind of despondent with life and sort of, you know, cranky in some cases depressed and then actually fall ill as well, you know. So they actually are changing. So they just don't realize that it's actually for the worse. They're moving in the wrong direction. So I just like to put that out there as a very distinctive point. Yes, we're all capable of change. We are all we have such tremendous potential uh, for growth, for change, for learning, et cetera, and for implementation. So we just have to have the desire to do so and move forward with actually making it happen. 
You know, that's so important, Elizabeth, because many people, like you say, think, oh, it's impossible. I've had people say, well, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. X amount of years old. I, you know, I'm, I'm set in my ways. Yeah. I can't change. I can't do whatever. And, and yet I've had people come in. I had a woman come in who was in her late 70s, and she wanted to change her relationship with her husband. And I applauded her because, again, people have to believe, like you said, that we have that capacity to change no matter what our age is, no matter what our circumstances are. And that's key. And the mindset, the belief to what's keeping us from doing that is what's really getting in the way and interfering. So it's it's so very important. Mm -hmm. So you talk about entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, and what are some of the key principles, you mentioned some of that earlier, of social entrepreneurship, if somebody really wanted to go into that? What are some of the key issues that they need to address? Um, so I don't know. I mean, there's a couple of things that stand out for me uh, in terms of, you know, some of the differences between social entrepreneurs and conventional entrepreneurs. Obviously, as a social entrepreneur, you're in the business of, of doing good. So uh, you're looking to do that, not just in terms of providing good product or service, but if you even apply it at a deeper level, like everything that you're involved with your business. So from the operations and supply chain, et cetera. So for example, if you create, you know, maybe uh, ethical, um, you know, handbags. So it's not just the final product, but it's how you actually create them. So maybe you're actually employing uh, women's uh, empowerment groups uh, to actually create them. So you're employing, uh, you're sort of creating um, jobs for people who need it. You're also using materials that are much more environmentally friendly, for example. Uh, Your stewardship related to social and environmental standards in the workplace are much higher. So it can be from A to Z, essentially. So they look at it from a much more holistic um, perspective. So for those who can actually apply more of an A to Z approach, fantastic. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you might not be there right out the gate, so you might start with the intention of creating a great service or product that's a social enterprise uh, related, uh, but then you know backtrack and sort of as you go move forward and as you start actually generating profit and supporting your business and growing your business, then you can actually do better and better on multiple levels. So there's that. There's also, of course, you know, as mentioned, the innovation is a big sort of factor because there's been a lot of sort of a social kind of organizations and and um, the social sector, for example, that have been in the business of doing good. But we don't want to do business the West. We don't want to sort of go about trying to um, achieve what we want to achieve by just sort of um, doing things the same old way. It really is important to bring innovation to the table. So in some cases, they're radically innovative. Other times, they're just more innovative than the old model, the old way of doing things. So that's really important because if we want to have impact, we really have to embrace sort of innovation and sort of being open to learning new models, applying them, testing them, tweaking them, getting them out there. Um, And usually uh, social entrepreneurs are also very, very committed. They have that sort of sense of uh, moral fiber, if you will, within them, and they're totally possessed by their vision for change. And not just small-scale change. It might start at a a low level, but they're really looking forward to having a big impact. And if you want, I can actually share with you one of my favorite uh, examples of a social entrepreneur. Um, So, is that okay if I just actually start yeah, discussing sort of you know that uh, that example? Yes, I yeah. had. We only have a few. Go ahead. Hello. Right, so basically, yeah. this is my favorite. Yes. 
So basically, this is my favorite example, and uh, he was an Ashoka Fellow as well. His name is Bart uh, Vitchens, and he was the founder of an organization, a nonprofit called Apopo, and uh, he launched that in 1995. So what I found so interesting is because you know this story and this social entrepreneur embodies what I think is just some of the great kind of attributes uh, of an entrepreneur, and also the viability of also you know running a social enterprise. So his story is that he grew up really, you know, appreciating rodents, rats, for example. So he's from Tanzania, and oftentimes, you know, rats are seen as, you know, a, a vile sort of um, – vile sort of, uh, you know, creature, if you will, and sort of the enemy and problematic and whatnot. But he always had a fond appreciation for them and obviously, you know, understood that they're quite intelligent, that they're easy to train, and they also have an amazing um, capacity for smell. So they really, you know, their sense of smell is really far superior to many, you know, definitely humans, but lots of animals as well. So what he started thinking is sort of, you know, how can he leverage these, these great attributes of the rat to actually address uh, a long social and environmental problem that's been plaguing, you know, many countries around the globe, which is basically, uh, you know, lands that are still riddled with land mines. So he's from Africa. So, of course, you know, the lens at that point in time was really looking at it from an African lens. So he thought, okay, there are these land mines throughout, you know, um, these countries and throughout the world. And essentially, they're robbing people of, you know, so many things, for sure their lives. So, so many people have lost their lives, obviously, to the detonation of landmines, um, lost limbs, lost livelihoods. You know, there's been a lot of sort of um, hits to the uh, the economy of the country, of those communities. They've lost the use of the land for other things, for agricultural purposes. Also, in terms of infrastructure, it really takes a big dent out of the infrastructure because now you have to work around these big swaths that could still have landmines, et cetera, you know, from um, – for so many reasons. So essentially, here's a long-standing problem, and he's like, hmm. Now he comes up with this amazing sort of, you know, idea and a solution is to actually train these rats um, because these rats, while they're quite large, they're these um, uh, large kind of um, African-pouched rats that are from Gambia, so they're much larger than the usual rat we're accustomed to seeing. So he basically trained them to actually detect TNT, which is the active uh, ingredient that sets off the uh, landmines. So what he did is he created a matrix, really super cool, but basically just with, you know, stalks and sort of like stalks of wood, if you will, and uh, rope. And he basically hitched up, you know, his rat to be able to run through matrix to be able to then over a portion of land detect uh, where the TNT is. And because these, lats, these rats are, you know, quite light, they don't actually activate, they don't detonate the landmine. So what he did is train them to actually just smell it out, then they get a reward, they use a clicker, the rat basically comes, collects its reward, and then they send in uh, somebody to actually remove the mine. Now, what was also fascinating about this is conventionally, in terms of how they were demining a lot of the land, it would take a lot of sort of, you know, human resources. Uh, it would take a lot of time and it would cost a lot more money. So they would go in, you know, with teams and they'd have like uh, metal detectors. Now, metal detectors will detect anything that's metal. So they're also stopping to pick up all sorts of things that are setting off the metal detectors that are not landmines. So this is wasting a lot of time. So what they did is with these rats, they essentially could, you know, in a fraction of uh, the time actually uh, detect many more uh, mines with accuracy. So it would take maybe a rat, you know, two hours. Uh, it would take sort of a team two days. <laughs> so they get much better results, much quicker, and they're really sort of economical. It's very easy to kind of train them, even though they go through a very rigorous training program now. Once he developed his model, they're now called hero rats. You can actually support a hero rat. <laughs> 
you can adopt one, which is phenomenal. So basically they go through a nine-month training program because it's evolved, obviously. But so where it started, they weren't, you know, training that extensively. But now uh, they go through a training program. They have to have a 100% success rate. Uh, so far, they've never lost the life of a rat. <laughs> and basically what they've been doing is demining all of these areas across the globe. And one of the things that I find so fantastic and so encouraging as well, um, Joanne, is, you know, he launched a POPO uh, in conjunction also with, um, with the University of Antwerp in Belgium. But he launched in 1995. So fast forward two decades later, roughly speaking, Mozambique was able to declare itself as a country as landmine free. You know, wow. I'm just getting chills just even saying that. No, and I am too. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing, it. Elizabeth. Firstly, people would think seriously, train a rat. How can you train a rat? And how can you train a rat to do something that? And yet this man was incredible and did not give up and pursued something that was not mm -hmm. non-conventional, innovative, and moved mm -hmm. forward with it mm -hmm. with, with a precision and really changed and transformed the way things were, in, not only in his, you know, in his country, but, but in so many other places. So I think that, I, think, I love Africa, that story. I think that's so beautiful. Yes, and what that says to yeah. all of us that we have the capacity to firstly be able to make changes, to take a look at what's going on mm -hmm. that may be to us be ordinary and be able to shift it in some way. And again, not to hold fast to some old beliefs or what we think we know and be able to kind of move out of the box like he did and find new ways to... Mm -hmm care of ourselves and social problems, whatever, and make the world a, a, an incredibly yes. better place. I love it. I just totally love and it. And Joanne, we are running out of time, note, and I want also you moving to. Out of the box. Oh, pardon? Oh, I was just going to say, just on that note, in terms of moving outside of the box, he took the exact same approach to actually the medical. And these rats are also now detecting tuberculosis, TB, which still plagues many, many uh, countries and also many lives are lost to it. So now they do the exact same thing. They sniff for tuberculosis and they're able to find so many more, um, you know, example, samples of them to actually help them cure the person much quicker. So really. So now we need to take a look at rats and our and our preconceptions about rats <laughs> in a totally different way mm -hmm. because they are helping us. <laughs> really heal a lot of heroes, lot of society, a lot of <laughs> social problems. I, I totally love it. I love that story, and it's not just a story; it's truth, and it's happening. It's happening and operating as we speak. Elizabeth, share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you and find out more about social entrepreneurship and how that could help them in their businesses and their lives. Sure, absolutely. Well, if anybody's interested in more information, you know, I encourage them to just drop me a line. Uh, they can get my contact details from my website, which is www.elizabethdiaz.co. So that's Elizabeth Diaz, D-I-A-S. 
S for the Portuguese version, not Z like the Spanish version. So S like social entrepreneurs. So Elizabeth Diaz, D-I-A-S dot C-O, not com because that was already taken. So dot C-O. So they can drop me a line, you know, feel free. Um, the email address is hello at Elizabeth Diaz dot C-O. And essentially, if they want more information, I'd be more than happy, you know, happy to point them in the right direction. As mentioned, you know, I've been involved with social entrepreneurship since 2007 and working with uh, entrepreneurs around the globe, you know, hundreds to now probably over a thousand in that area. And uh, what I do, I also offer a uh, free uh, strategy session uh, if it makes sense. So they can also explore that with me if they would like. But I highly encourage them, whether it's, you know, contacting me or reaching out to explore more about social entrepreneurship to really, if it's in them, if there's something resonating, it's been speaking to them, even if it's just an idea, to just move it forward, however it looks. And there's a great Oprah Winfrey quote I love, is that, you know, we get in life what we have the courage to ask for, uh, which I think is so true. You've got to ask for it. You've got to ask for the help and move it forward. And then, of course, you've got to go for it. <laughs> so just reach out. You can reach out to me. You can also look up Ashoka, A-S-H-O-K-A. As mentioned, they're the leaders uh, in that area. And they have tons of examples of social entrepreneurs around the globe that are referred to as um, fellows, Ashoka fellows. Wonderful. Elizabeth, thank you so much. You have such a wealth of knowledge, and I love that story. I'm, I'm smiling from that story. And, <laughs> and rats, totally new way of seeing rats. Thank you so much for being a valued guest and for all that you do. Oh, my sincere pleasure, Joanne, and thank you. Thank you for your wonderful show. Thank you for being of service to so many around the globe for decades and all of the important work that you do. There's, from our last conversation, still a couple of takeaways that I'm implementing. So thank you for having me on. It's been a, a joy. My pleasure. Thanks again. Take care. So think about what Elizabeth said because you have the capacity, the ability to make those changes, to not be stuck in old ways, old beliefs, an old mindset, but be able to move forward. And as, as Elizabeth said, if there's something that's sparking your attention, your desire, move forward with it. Don't hold back. You do have more potentiality than you're aware. So get that awareness moving in a different direction and know that you can empower yourself and power your life in many, many different ways. Even if you're just taking a few small steps today, do that because you might surprise yourself and come up with some wonderful new ideas and new ways to be the best you that you can be. If you want to get a hold of me, I'll give you the short version. You can go to docdocwhite.org, find out more about upcoming shows, blogs, information, and how I can best serve you. Take care of yourself wherever you are, and remember, you are in power of yourself. Have a beautiful day wherever you are. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.